0: My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet, binge, roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote-unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought they will notice I've gained weight or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed, if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So, it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's d-r-h-o-n-d-o-r-p dot forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. You are being lied to. I hate to say it, but it's happening early and often to all of us. When I'm not busy getting angry about it, it's actually kind of fascinating. What's interesting is the more work I, or the more time I've been in this field, the more I see that we actually have a pretty decent sense of what is, what I call evidence-based nutrition, like what nutritional patterns promote good health. And I see over and over probably the most, well, there's a lot of frustrating things about the diet and weight loss industry, right? But one of the things that I see a lot more clearly now is how the diet and weight loss industry over and over works to complicate positive nutrition, so we become reliant on their products, right? And one really great way to do that is to say you need to experience weight loss as the ultimate outcome because of all the factors we talk about in this podcast, it's easy for that to mask or cloud, focus on good nutrition or positive nutrition, But remember, weight loss industry, their business model is create repeat customers, confuse us, convince us that some great plan is just around the corner that'll save us from our misery, feeling bad, our body shame, all of that. When really, it's diet culture and the internalized idea that thinness equals health and happiness that makes us feel bad in the first place and can make us very ill, whether that's difficulty with mental health or an eating disorder, or just lead us down a path of eating in a way that's not only binge eating, which certainly doesn't make us feel good, but also eating foods that really are not helping us to feel as good as possible. So today we're going to be diving into three diet culture myths that are may surprise you. And I'll talk a little bit about what I call my diet culture gaslighting journey, um, because as I've reflected back, it's kind of interesting how diet culture really moved me away from finding an eating pattern that I feel really fits my body and my preferences and my life. So I have actually always had a preference for more like plant-based type eating, more, um, I didn't love meat. I, I didn't. We didn't eat a ton of it growing up, so I know a lot of my meat-loving friends will say it's because I haven't had good prepared, well-prepared meat, which is I'm sure true. But regardless, I just didn't, and maybe I just naturally don't love meat, and that's fine. Just like you might naturally love meat, all of that is fine, right? So, when I was a freshman in college, I found out that I had high cholesterol, like really quite high, in like the two eighties, and High triglycerides, also really high, and I was actually, I hate to admit this, but somewhat excited because I thought maybe now I'll be motivated to be healthier because at this point I'd been sort of dieting since like 16, so been a couple, two years of just like ineffectiveness and feeling really physically bad, feeling really unhealthy in my body. It wasn't just due to the weight gain, but it was like the way I was treating my body was very unhealthy. So, uh, you know, long story short, as I'm sure you're not too surprised, this external shame-based motivation did not work. And it was kind of interesting because I think back on that time now, I kind of forgot about this, but I found some books about plant-based nutrition and reversal of heart disease. I actually found the book by Dr. Dean Ornish. And it's funny because he's come back into sort of my orbit when I worked in the uh, preventive cardiology clinic And um, I worked there at my last job. I worked in two clinics, bariatric surgery, preventive cardiology. And what's kind of fascinating is, although, I don't know, I I actually got the book when I was 18, um, because I was like, I have high cholesterol, I need to like, help myself. And what's fascinating is that, although I don't know the exact program, um, my sense is that The program was very heavily plant-based and way too strict for what I wanted or needed. Um, However, today I eat somewhat similar now to some, at least some of the time, as I've shared. I have no idea what percentage of plant-based I eat. If I had to ballpark guess, I would say maybe mostly 80, 60% maybe. I've said in the past 60 to 80. The reality is I have like no idea because I don't, really care. I just do what I can. And, um, I don't ever track, even though the scientific part of me is kind of interested and I'm not afraid tracking would trigger me. I just have better things to do with my time. But anyways, it, but so point being, it took me a long time to get back to working into this preventive cardiology clinic. And really what I did there was just like, hmm, this cardiologist I work with is recommending this to people. Um, that they recommended the Forks Over Knives meal planner as one option. I was like, oh, that's maybe I'll just do the free week and just see how I feel. It's kind of interesting, and I just really, our whole family, surprisingly, liked it a lot more than we thought we would. So it was kind of just a interesting experience that was not done for any weight loss related reason whatsoever. Um, but, and I'll tell in a minute why we did that, but besides just interest and, but instead when I was 18, I never really ever followed this book. I don't even know what happened, but due to the immense power of diet culture, I got funneled down the weight loss industry track and I did all the typical diets. I, um, I've shared before my first time doing Weight Watchers kind of felt like it worked per se. Had me eating fairly balanced, but I cannot say the same for previous uh, or future attempts. I did Weight Watchers multiple other times. It was uh, the last, the last diet I ever did before I finally said I am done. And I also tried, you know, Jenny Craig Slim Fast, a lot of calorie counting. Um, But yeah, nothing. Like I've said before, really nothing. I was just reflecting recently, I don't think I've ever, like, skipped a meal intentionally ever. Um, that was not, I was always, like, afraid that I would ruin my metabolism or something. But anyways, even with Weight Watchers, for me, I always had this idea of, like, a healthy dinner that I would make for myself or in my future family would be, like, grilled chicken breast, steamed veggies, maybe some plain brown rice or something, Right. So I followed all these rules that diet culture teaches us, like don't eat too many carbohydrates or pastas, they have a lot of calories, Uh, quote unquote, eat everything in moderation, and make sure, this is a big one for me, make sure to have protein at every meal and snack. So that one was really interesting because by the time, fast forward many years, again, many years, this was after I got out of my diet. Binge cycle for several years now, and I learned about the true science of plants, plant-based eating. Um, I did the worked in the cardiology clinic. I tried the Forks Over Knives meal planner. We just liked it, um, and also we had found out, as I mentioned in previous episodes, about our high genetic risk for cancer, and we felt really empowered making those changes. So we still. I don't know, four and a half years later, we still use the meal planner. We don't use it all the time. We just use it basically when we have time and we feel like it. There's like no pressure, but it's a very low cost meal planner. So I would say we use it, you know, most weeks we do one to five meals with it. It really depends. And probably some meals, definitely some meals or some weeks none. But like I said, I don't know. I don't really count. It doesn't really matter. But just to give you a sense... And so then I took Cornell has a plant-based nutrition certificate program that was just really interesting. So um, I took that and I really learned a lot about plant-based nutrition. And this leads me to diving into the three diet culture myths that I think will really surprise you and the ones that I had to sort of debunk myself over the years. So the first myth is, it's all about calories in versus calories out. How many times have you heard that one? I hear it all the time. And while it's true that our weight is made up of how many calories we take in and absorb versus how many we're burning, it's much more complicated than diet culture would make you think, right? We blame all about the individual, willpower, just eat less, move more, these really simplified messages that are inaccurate and really shaming and harmful. So there are a lot of things I could share with you that would debunk this myth, a lot, but I'm just going to choose a few that I think really highlight it. So one is the study that I'm, probably mentioned that I have mentioned before by Janet Tamiyama, excuse me if I didn't say that name right, where they looked at 1,200 calorie diets with recording and without. So just kind of doing like a 1,200 calorie diet with like, if you picture like a Jenny Craig meal type meal, so pre-portion, 1,200 calories a day, they found that even with the lower calorie 1200 calorie diets without recording there was increased levels of cortisol in those participants so it wasn't just the act of recording in that caused the increase in cortisol. What we know about cortisol increased stress hormone tends to be really problematic for our health if it's chronically elevated and so we're giving this advice to restrict calories and people are experiencing a number of negative effects, and part of that is due to the biological increase in stress that is inherent, whether or not you are recording your calories. So that's one. Um, for this myth, I have a couple of different anecdotes to share. The other one that I think is really interesting—I um, have not read the book. It's very dense and pretty weight loss focused. It's "How Not to Diet" by Michael Greger. He's a physician. You know, I don't not that I don't recommend the book, but it's it's a lot of research studies. But there's some interesting points that he makes there. He's very thorough with his research. And there is a lot of research studies that he cites referencing the benefits of a high-fiber diet. So if there was like one nutritional recommendation that you could follow, high-fiber, not fake fiber, you know, the fiber supplements, but like high-fiber from real food is a really good recommendation to focus on because a we want to focus on what to add in versus take out but also um there's just really good data that it's going to reduce risk of a whole bunch of diseases and things like that so um uh as a side note actually hot off of the presses i you if you all have been in my community you know i love creating new free resources for you It's, I do it a little bit too much, but it is what it is. So I I did create, um, this really new fun guide with, it's called seven satisfying snacks you'll actually want to eat. And there, um, I, I really have fun with Canva and my design skills. So there's really simple snack ideas. They're all relatively high in plant foods and fiber. They're some of my go-to favorites. They are not rigid and there's reminders throughout that these are not things you should do. They're just ideas, um, It's not, you know, obviously a prescribed diet. You know me by now, but grab that for free. You can grab that at drhondorp.com forward slash satisfy, S-A-T-I-S-F-Y. And yeah, get some great ideas of simple ways that you can add um, some snacks that'll not only keep you more satisfied throughout the day and reduce the likelihood of binge eating, but also, um, add some health benefits, health promoting benefits throughout your day as well. So the, yeah, the interesting thing about the benefits of a high fiber diet, not just for disease risk, is there's actually good data to show that fiber content is going to matter in terms of how much calories are absorbed. So I don't want you, any of you to use this information as like a should or a diet rule, but there is, again, diet culture is Aimed to help them make money. So if we were all aware that we just, for health reasons, optimal function of our body, we just need to eat more plant foods, there's no money to be made in that, right? So I think we also need to think about, I'm really interested in how diet culture and weight loss industry monopolizes our beliefs of ourselves to make money. But also the food industry. So the food industry will make like fiber supplements and really expensive things, like even just like chia seeds. I mean, there's a whole history to all this stuff that I fully don't understand. But essentially, a high fiber diet can be really affordable. Beans are amazing. Um, there's a couple recipes that include beans in the guide, and. There are so many different ways. It takes time and practice to learn to make the foods in a way that's really good, but there's many ways that this can be affordable and also really, really health-promoting and something you can feel really great about feeding, nourishing your body and uh, as well as your loved ones. Okay, on to the second myth. This one I alluded to above, this was the biggest myth that I had to move away from to find an eating style that like felt best for my body, which I feel like I've mostly done, although I'm sure it'll be adapting and changing over time. The myth is you need more protein to feel full. This is one that I hear all of the time. This is partly also because I worked in a weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery clinic for many, many years throughout my career. And protein's really emphasized in that procedure. We're not going to delve into that piece today, but more broadly, the weight loss industry is obsessed with protein, getting more protein and to feel full. And I believed this for years. I, again, I mentioned that, oh, the, the grilled chicken meal is like the best meal. And, um, I always struggled with really feeling full. And a lot of it was because I was restricting portions, right? I had this idea of like, what was the right portion? Um, I do not ever restrict Portions, I don't restrict anything, but I do not stress about portions. I eat till I'm satisfied and full. And, uh, you know, that's a complicated topic, but not to delve into that too much. But ba- basically, yeah, I eat till I'm satisfied. And so, this idea of needing more protein to feel full, most people think of protein, they think of meat, eggs, and maybe cheese, things like that. When unfortunately, eating too many of those foods is really highly associated with variety of disease risk. So it's not that any foods are bad or that you should ever, I will never say there is no one right eating pattern for everyone because we're all way too unique for that. But this idea that you need to feel full, to to feel full, you need to have protein is not a myth that... I believe anymore. And in fact, my husband held that myth. I think a lot of people hold that myth. You you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I um my husband and I definitely did, but we just kept an open mind and we tried the plant-based eating and we feel very full and like less weighed down by our meals. Um I can often like go, well, I don't run that much yet. I'm working on it because I'm healing some pelvic floor stuff, but I um I can run like pretty soon after eating because I don't feel, I feel full and satisfied, but not very weighed down. And so, and I don't mean that in a weight way. I just mean energetically. So yeah, this idea that you need more protein to feel full. What's interesting is like, if you actually look at the data, it supports fiber intake helps us feel full and even just um, foods with more water content, which tends to be plant foods, even foods that we, you know, diet culture tells us are too starchy, like white potatoes and things like that. I just listened to a podcast on the Veggie Doctor Radio about white potatoes, friend or foe. It was really good. I highly recommend her podcast. And um, yeah, I think that you might be really surprised. I've definitely heard people say that they try to eat plant base, plant-based and they don't feel full. Um, And that may be true, but there might be different reasons for that. And some of it might be that you restrict portions. So a lot of people that I work with are like, I only had this like, I had this reasonable portion of this like plant-based meal or something. It sounded really tasty, but it's just because they're not letting themselves eat more because they have this like portion size, diet mentality, diet culture type idea of like what's enough and they don't feel full because they're not letting themselves eat enough food. Um, So Again, I don't measure, but I feel like I eat pretty big portions, but I don't know big is a subjective word and I don't measure so I can't really tell you for sure, but I can tell you that I never ever monitor portions for myself or my family. Um, yeah, I mean I guess occasionally I do if like we're talking about you know like a candy or cake, not that I monitor it, but I might not put an entire cake on the table, although I frankly probably could. Kids are very intuitive, and yeah, we're not restricted, so it would hopefully be fine. Um, Okay, so that's myth number two. So just to recap, myth number one, it's all about calories in versus calories out. I think we debunked that pretty well. Myth two, you need more protein to feel full. And myth number three, you must track your eating to have a success. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, so if you do, then you're not alone. But this idea of like sort of being reliant on tracking to keep yourself in check and have mindful awareness. Certainly tracking any behavior we want to change is helpful. This is true of any behavior. exercise. Spending money, awareness is key for change. But most of the people that I help and that may be listening to this podcast, you've probably tracked for a really long time. And if you never have, there might be some value um, to sort of just be aware. And, you know, sometimes when we think about like more formal treatment for binge eating or another eating disorder, tracking can be really helpful in staying accountable to more regular eating eating more throughout the day. However, tracking with calorie apps, I see limited utility long term. And this idea of like, you must track to have success. Maybe if you are rigidly kind of like keeping your body weight below what it wants to be at, that might help you to sort of keep yourself in check in that way. But I don't see many people at all track their eating long term and feel good and flexible with it. I just don't see it. The cool thing about moving away from rigid dieting is that we can still move towards positive nutrition in a non-rigid, non-pressured way, but you don't have to track. So like I said, I almost have like a scientific interest in tracking. (laughs) Like it truly is scientific and curiosity, but like I just don't have it in me because it doesn't, it just takes up a lot of time, even though it really wouldn't take that much time. But I feel like I, all, every day is different too, so I feel like I'd have to track a while to get a sense of it. Because I think that's the other thing that tracking is not helpful with, is that you get really down on yourself when you eat more in a given day. But uh, I am, my subjective sense is that I eat more and less throughout days and periods of the month and things like that. And that is I'm not reactive to that and I don't stress about it, but I think if you saw it on an app, you might be like, "Oh wow, I had like, I don't know, a lot of calories that day and would be more likely to be reactive about it versus just like, sure, that is going to happen on some days and just sort of notice it and move on." So, so those are the three myths. So, to recap, Three, two, one. 2, 1. You must track your eating to have success. It's all about calories in versus calories out. And you need more protein to feel full. Like I said, for me, the protein one was the most influential. And, you know, I think I say this enough. I do not know what the right eating style is for you. But I would really, really love for you to be able to unhook yourself from all the diet culture BS messages. So you can explore over time what does work for you. So for me, it took a while and there's no huge rush, but I do think it's okay. Um, I've been thinking lately about the concept of gentle nutrition. It's a principle of intuitive eating and while I think it's a wonderful principle and I think a lot of people find it really helpful, personally, I, don't, I never thought of it that way. Um, I think a lot of it's about language and what resonates. I just think about it as like, how can I eat in a way, eat and move in a way that helps to fuel my life and helps me to feel as good as possible. And like I said, not in a pressuring way, but even times when, um, like after Halloween weekend, we had a good amount of candy and pizza and all the things and really thoroughly enjoyed that. And I don't ever, I'm like, oh, I'm getting back on track. I don't get stressed about it. I'm just like, Okay. I would like to eat and move in a way that helps me to feel good and figuring out what that looks like is, uh, is of high value to me. But like I said, there's not a really, there's not much urgency to it. It's just like, okay, I want to feel good. And, uh, again, not to oversimplify, obviously these concepts, it's not like, just tell yourself you want to feel good. I never want to come across as that, but at the same time, Diet culture wants us to overcomplicate all of these things. I saw a quote recently that was like, good nutrition shouldn't be complicated. Um, you know, I, I think it said something else. I forget who said it, but when it's too overcomplicated or it feels really, really complicated, um, then often that is the influence of diet culture. So excited for you to move away from that, to feel more empowered, to figure out what works for you kind of just mindful curiosity noticing. So have a wonderful week, everyone. I hope this was helpful and I will talk to you soon. And if you haven't already, make sure you download my free guide to seven satisfying snacks that, will actually, that you will actually want to eat. So make sure you grab that. It's really quite well designed, if I do say so myself. I use my yearbook skills and Canva and I had a great time putting together some cool pictures and really fun snack ideas. They are plant-forward snacks, meaning mostly plants, and uh, I think very, very tasty and all very easy to make. So grab that today at drhondorp.com forward slash satisfy. That's d-r-h-o-n-d-o-r-p.com forward slash satisfy. So grab that for free today. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times, that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the Bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the US and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the psychology of wellness link you can find that in the show notes or you can go to dr that's d-r-s-h-a-w-n-h-o-n-d-o-r-p.com forward slash bookshop thank you for tuning in today your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, It would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.